Our text is Luke chapter 1, verse 34 through 38. As a matter of fact, we'll just start reading in verse 30 when we get there, but as you're turning to Luke chapter 1, I know many of you will be reading, uh, hopefully many of you will be reading Luke chapter 2 for Christmas. Uh, It's always just good to go back and look at that. But on the other hand, this chapter leading here, chapter 1 has... And the angel Gabriel appears unto Zacharias and says, I'm, you're, you're an old man. He's older than me. Um, I look good for my age. Okay. But he said, uh, you and, and, and your wife Elizabeth are going to have a baby boy. Now, She's old, he's old, way past the childbearing years. And he says, what? How can this thing be? And, and, and so they're, they're just, they're concerned about this, you know, what, what's going on here? The angel Gabriel himself tells me this, tells him what name he'll call this baby boy, it'll be John. Now, just think about that, getting hit with that. But it happens exactly that way. Uh, Zacharias, because he didn't really believe as he should have, was basically uh, couldn't talk until the baby was born. And once the baby's born, he don't get to talk much after that, do you? Uh, but um, he couldn't be. Uh, he just couldn't talk for that time. But what happened was a miracle. It was a miracle. But that's not the only miracle. I mean, goodness gracious, Abraham says, so what? I was 90, I was, I was 99. You know, what, what are you talking about? You know, uh, my wife was, she was just about 90. So what are you talking about, a miracle? Well, it was a miracle in the Old Testament. Now here it is, another miracle. But as they're standing there, uh, that passes, and it's six months later, and the same angel Gabriel is sent unto Mary, and an even greater miracle is going to happen, something that never happened before. So let's read about it there, beginning with verse uh, 30. And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb, and bring forth a son, and shalt call his name Jesus. He shall be great, and shall be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there shall be no end. Then said Mary unto the angel. How shall this thing be? Seeing I know not a man. Now there were no. She was betrothed to Joseph at that time. The betrothal then was kind of like an engagement today. They had not come together as a husband and wife in their relationships. Now, uh, verse 35, And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee, and therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. And behold, thy cousin Elizabeth, 
She hath also conceived a son in her old age, and this is the sixth month with her, who is called barren. For with God, nothing shall be impossible. That's the idea of our message today. For with God, nothing shall be impossible. And Mary said, Behold, the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. And the angel departed from her. Now shall we pray. Father, I just want to say thank you once again. Because you've given us in Jesus Christ a sure hope. And that reflection on him at Christmas time should bring us back to the fact that we have a sure hope. Because Jesus Christ keeps his word. And he never fails. He is the shield of our salvation. We have a hope that will not be disappointed at all. And our hope will only end the day we see the face of Jesus Christ in glory then it won't have to be hope because now we're there. He was formed in a virgin to a girl who was so very poor. He is born in a cave that served as a barn. He was sought out to be killed as a baby by the wicked King Herod. Throughout his life on earth, he was threatened with his death. Men wanted to kill him, beat him, and do whatever they could to him. Yet, that chubby little hand that reached up and touched the face of his mother who was nursing him is the same hand of the Creator, the Savior of men, and who is the Son of of God, yea, the very seed of God. Yet, he took on human flesh. By the will of the Father, he also became the Son of Man, so that he might be an acceptable sacrifice for our sin, for only a perfect sacrifice would do. So the lover of our soul would be able to provide the eternal hope of eternal life that is freely given to all who will receive him as their Lord and Savior. So Lord, I pray if there are any under the sound of my voice today who do not know you, I pray that today would be the very day they come to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, Mary sees the angel Gabriel. Now, I know a lot of people talk about the angels appeared unto me. Uh, I don't think that we see much of that today. Uh, we've got the Word of God. Right. Okay, we've got the Word of God. Uh, even, even Peter uh, said in Second Peter that we were studying recently, uh, he said, look, I was there on the mount. We saw Moses and Elijah, the three of us. We saw them there. They were actually there. Hundreds and hundreds of years after their death, we saw them. But then, 
Peter adds, but we have a, something that's even more sure than that that we saw with our eyes. The Word of God. Amen. Wow. That tells you what God thinks of His Word, especially Psalms 138 too. He says that He is, has exalted His Word above His name. Oh, the Word of God is so important to Him. But here the angel is and telling her something that would be a great miracle. A virgin birth. There was never one before. There was never one since. So she asked the angel, how will this thing be? And I think that's a fair question. How? She didn't say, oh, come on. I don't believe that. No, she didn't say that. She said, how can this thing be, seeing that I know not a man? You know, there's two things about that. First of all, she's wanting to know, how could that happen? And number two, seeing that I know not a man. She is a pure virgin. And that's why the Lord chose her. He didn't choose her because she is poor. He chose her because she was pure. She was a virgin. She was of the right uh, lineage. And she, he said, this is the one. You know, it's kind of, uh, when you think about that, the angels appeared at the tomb and there are some ladies there and they said, he is risen like he said. Go and tell those disciples. And they go and do it. It's, it's wise if, if you get a Gabriel, an angel from God that tells you to do something, do it. Do it. That's what those ladies did. This is what Mary does. See, Mary's answer is great when, she's, when the angel says, is anything too hard for God? With God, all things are possible. And what is Mary's reply? Behold, the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. You see, she is a lady of faith. She lives her faith. Therefore, and I'm not deifying her because she called him my Savior. You don't need a Savior if you don't have sin. So she called him my Savior. So if she didn't have sin, she called him my Savior. She was a liar. Now she has sin. But he is a Savior. So she can tell him that and, and just call him that. And, and, and it's true. But she knows that with God, nothing is impossible. What her problem was, she just didn't know how. But we don't need to know how. All we need to know is that with God, nothing is impossible. Boy, there's something to learn from a lady, isn't that? You just trust God. Just take his word as it is and act upon it. So that brings a question to each of us. Do we believe that anything is too hard for God? No. Let the Bible tells, tell us. See, whatever the Bible tells us, it comes down to this. You either reject it. And no, God, I can't take your word at that. Or you accept it. And therefore act upon it. See, saying I believe what it says, but you don't act upon it. You may believe that Jesus died for him, was buried and rose from the dead, but you don't act upon it to receive him as your Lord and Savior. All you have is a statement, but you don't have faith. It's not faith until you actually act upon it. Do what he says. In Psalm chapter 33 and verse 6, we see that with God, nothing shall be impossible because it says, By the word of the Lord were the heavens made, and all the host of them by the breath of his mouth. 
In other words, he spoke the worlds into existence. He said, let there be light. And there was light. He spoke the worlds into existence. With God, nothing is impossible. Is anything too hard for God? In Psalms chapter 19, verses 1 through 6, he says, The heavens declared the glory of God, and the firmament showeth his handiwork. Day unto day uttereth speech, and night unto night showeth knowledge. There is no speech, nor language, where their voice is not heard. You know what? We go out on the internet, radio, and cover the globe. It's accessible. But not anybody, not that many people that are on this earth hear my voice. But here, it's always heard. Creation. And notice. He says, uh, again, he says, day unto day utter speech. Night unto night showeth knowledge. There's no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Their line is gone out. Through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. In them hath he set a tabernacle for the sun. Which is as a bridegroom coming out of his chamber. And rejoiceth as a strong man to run a race. His going forth is from the end of the heaven. And his circuit unto the ends of it. And there is nothing hid from the heat thereof. Oh, is anything too hard for God? The creation itself, the stars, the sky, the earth. Many of you have talked about beautiful places that you've been to, whether it was the Grand Canyon or whether it was the uh, Great Mountains and the uh, Rockies and maybe perhaps there are other places of this world that you've visited. You said, that is the most beautiful place I've ever seen. And, and that's great. But the, the course of the worlds, because he has set the course of the stars, all of that tells us it's a witness. It speaks not with audible words, but rather it speaks with visible proof. God created the heavens and the earth. And so in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1, it starts right there. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. So when we think about that, it all begins with God. Throughout all this eternity that uh, we'll live, we'll see that God is the creator. But even on earth now, the world itself, whether you're atheist, whether you're uh, Hindu, no matter what you are or where you live, There's no place on this earth, even if you were born blind and deaf, there is nowhere on this earth where you still do not have that witness that God created the heavens and the earth. Now you think of that. All that is so tremendous. And so Christian, again, it is quite clear that with God, Nothing shall impossible. Is there anything too hard for him? Let's look further in the scriptures. Second Kings chapter 19. 185,000 soldiers that up to that point 
The world had never known an army this strong, this good, uh, that was defeating everything that got in his past. Now they're surrounding Jerusalem. Jerusalem. The captain of the host speaks to them and said, look, we'll give you 2,000 horses if you have enough men to put on them. They didn't have enough men to put on 2,000 horses. And they're surrounded by 185,000. But King Hezekiah goes to prayer. He calls on the Lord. And he tells the people just to trust God. He's going to deliver. And so, what is the result? 2 Kings 19, 34 and 35, God says, For I will defend this city to save it for mine own sake and for my servant David's sake. And it, and it came to pass that night that the angel of the Lord went out and smote the camp of the Syrians and hundred, fourscore, and five thousand. And they arose early in the morning, and behold, they were all dead corpses. Wow. Did Hezekiah know how God was going to do it? No, he only knew God would do it because God gave his word and God does not lie. Did it look impossible for Jerusalem that day? Yes, it did. But God does what man cannot do. Is anything too hard for God? I think of the place and birth of Jesus Christ. In Genesis 3.15, when the Lord is handing out the sentence on Adam and Eve and the devil, the serpent there. And the last he speaks to the serpent and he says there, And I will put enmity between thee and the woman and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head. And thou shalt bruise his heel. The seed of a woman. Uh, we know that it's not the seed of a woman, it's the seed of a man. Unless it's a virgin birth. It's the only way. In Genesis 3.15, nearly 6,000 years ago, we were told of a virgin birth. I mean, you talk about being fair. The Lord was very fair on that because it says, okay, there's going to be a virgin birth. The devil could do everything he could, could to stop it, and he did. Then he tried to do everything he could to kill Jesus before the time. Falls every time, just, just fails every time, doesn't make it. Just doesn't make it. So liberal theologians would have jumped all over this today had there not been a virgin birth when they read Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15. They would have told you the error and the unreliability of the Bible, but they can't go there with that because it happened. It happened. In Matthew chapter 1 verse 23, it confirmed. 
affirms it when he says, Behold, a virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. That was first stated 700 years earlier in Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 14, where he uh, made that prophecy, and now Matthew one twenty three confirms it. Is anything too hard for God? A virgin birth. What about the place? But thou, Bethlehem Ephratah, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall come forth unto me. That is to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from of old, from everlasting. Now, just a couple things about that. Again, that's somewhere around six or seven hundred years before the birth of Jesus Christ that he's told where he will be born, the exact place. But not only that, Matthew chapter 2, verse 5 and 6 confirms it to let us know, okay, the prophecy has come true. When Herod wanted to kill him, he called the priest and the scribes. They come together and they said, yeah, he's supposed to be uh, born in Bethlehem. It all comes together as God said it would come together. But my friend, notice, even from old, from everlasting. You know what that's telling us? This one that comes forth is from everlasting. You know, if it's from everlasting, past, that means everlasting past never had a beginning. (laughs) You know, evolution starts off with, well, 6 billion years, 10 billion years, 25 billion years. Wait a minute, let's move back to 13. Uh, wait a minute, now let's move forth to 35. You know, they want me to believe in something. They can't decide themselves. But God said this in the beginning and he stuck with it. Because he knows all things from the beginning. And Jesus Christ was there. Why? Because from everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. And Jesus Christ was the Son of God through eternity past, but He did not become the Son of God in flesh until that time in Israel. But before then, He was always the Son of God. God is the Spirit. And that's how Jesus was. And so He was from everlasting, attributing that to the deity of Jesus Christ. Think of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It was a miracle. When you look back in Old Testament, hey, Elijah, Elisha, they rose people from the dead. Well, that's happened before. Yeah, Jesus did a few times too in his earthly ministry. The apostles after him did that a few times. But here's the thing. Nobody rose themselves from the dead. No one had done that before. Jesus Christ said that he had the power to lay his life down and then to take it back up again. No one had ever done that. But he's the God-man. That is, he's 100% God. And he did not give up his deity to become a man. But he's also 100% 
human starting back there when he was the moment he was conceived by the Holy Ghost coming upon Mary and then beginning to form a seed in her. And that was the beginning of the humanity of Jesus Christ. And so he's 100% God, 100% man. And that's why Romans 10 and verse 9 says that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus. Lord is his deity. Jesus speaks of his humanity. That thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart. That is to trust him with your very life. That God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Now, since the context is Lord Jesus, that God has raised himself from the dead, Jesus raised himself from the dead. His deity raised his humanity from the dead. And really, you know what's so interesting about that? After he was raised, he ascended into heaven. And applied the blood at the great mercy seat of God. Mary Magdalene sees him first and begins to touch him. She says, touch me not. Go tell my disciples I sin to my God and your God. What do you mean by that? He meant simply this. Mary, don't touch me now. I'm like the sacrificial lamb that the Old Testament always looked forward to. You can't have unclean hands touch. I've got to apply the blood. So he applies the blood and he comes back down after it's been applied. He comes back down and others put their hands on him. Tells Thomas, put your hands on my side. Feel here. Feel, the, feel those, uh, those things right in there where the nails were. Feel that. You see, the work was completed when Jesus said, it is finished. It was finished. What he needed to do for our salvation to purchase it for us. Now keep in mind, we're not going to preach on how cruel the cross was. And it was very cruel, but understand also, he doesn't want you to feel sorry for him on the cross. What he wants you to know about the cross is that he paid your penalty. And he endured the fullness of the outpoured wrath of God upon his human spirit. Until it was over. Matthew 18, 11 brings it back to Christmas. For the Son, again, God's Son, the Son of Man, He says, for the Son of Man is, is come to save that which was lost. That's what Christmas is all about. He is Lord. He comes. To save that which was lost. Is anything too hard for God? People were raised from the dead. But only Jesus raised himself. So we ask the question again. Do you believe? Do you believe anything is too hard for God? One final thing. I want to look in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 through 11. Passage I use often. Know ye not that the, that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, 
neither fornicators. Fornicators comes from the Greek word pornea, which means sexual sin of any kind. It could be bestiality. It could be the worst sexual sins that you could think of of any kind. Or it just could be just sexual relations between a man and a woman. I mean, whatever it is, it's called fornication. Only outside of, only, uh, outside of all those things, marriage says the bed is undefiled. As a matter of fact, it's a holy thing. So anything else outside of what God has called holy is unholy. It defiles. It defiles. Why would you defile God? Why would you defile God? Look, couples move in and live together today without marriage. That is just as bad as the homosexuality, the bestiality, the perverts, and everything else that's going on. God says he only recognizes it in marriage. Uh, By the way, male, female. That was God. Have you ever thought about that? I'm going to digress for just a moment if you'll let me. When you're laying in bed in the hospital for two or three days, you have time to think. And... I got to thinking about that. They're talking about a test, and you hear people saying, what's it going to be? Did you find out what it's going to be? It's going to be a girl. What did you find out? It's going to be a boy. Have you ever heard anybody say, it's going to be a transgender? (laughs) I don't know how I got there, but it was fun. Okay. (laughs) But he says, neither fornicators... Nor idolaters, that's worshiping anything aside from Christ. Nor adulterers, that is cheating on your spouse. Nor effeminate, that is speaking of homosexuality. If I remember correctly, I think it was the NIV where that word was changed around just enough because one of the translators of that particular chapter was a lesbian. Nor abusers of themselves of mankind. Again, that's your sexual perverts of the worst kind of things that you can think of, whether it's child or anything else. Okay. So he says, uh, abusers themselves of mankind. Then verse 10, nor thieves. That's stealing. Whether you're robbing a bank. Or you just uh, got some money out of your husband's billfold. Well, all things are ours. And they're more mine than yours. Okay. (laughs) Nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards. Well, I'm not a drunkard. Nor revelers. You know what revelers actually was when you walked the word all the way back in its original? It was... People could actually get drunk, but there was the partying attitude, the idea of social drinking and partying. In other words, the Lord even hit social drinking. And the world doesn't like to hear that today. But we don't stop telling the truth because it's, the world doesn't like it. And so he says, neither ever, nor extortioners. All of this group, he says, none of them shall inherit the kingdom of God. Pretty well hits about all of us, especially when you think of fornication. For you men, he that looked upon a woman to lust after her. Women, he that she that covets another man's husband. Uh, Another man's husband, yeah, that word would be bad. (laughs) 
another woman's husband. And I'm just saying that all of us are guilty, so none of us deserve to go to heaven. Not one of us. None of them shall inherit the kingdom of God. But this next verse, oh boy, am I so glad it's there. And such were some of you. (laughs) Were means used to be, but not at all anymore. But ye are washed. How? By the blood of Jesus Christ. He cleansed your sin by his blood. But ye are washed. But ye are sanctified. That is, you are set apart for the holy use of the Lord now. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away, and behold, all things are become new. Men will not forget. Men many times will not forgive. Men many times will believe false accusation. But when God says you're clean, you're clean. So it doesn't really what matter what men say or think, does it? It's what's right is what matters. It's what's true is what matters. And so he says you're sanctified and then you're justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of God. How am I justified in the name of the Lord Jesus by the Spirit of God? Well, number one, when I appear at the, at the end of this time, when we appear before God at judgment, I'm accepted, Ephesians 1, 6, in the beloved. I'm accepted in Christ. His name, because his blood, I'm washed in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, I'm accepted by him. And I'm also... By the Holy Ghost. By the Holy Ghost here. We, how is that? How's, how's he involved in that? The Spirit of itself beareth witness with our spirit, Romans chapter 8, that we are the children of God. Wow. You know what? When you go before the judgment, we'll be at the judgment seat. If you're saved, you'll be at the judgment seat. But still, when the question comes up, the one thing you can say, you stand there, you know you're unworthy. You know you didn't deserve it. But boy, it'll feel great to know that through the very Spirit of God and God the Son, I'm accepted. And the great thing is, it's just not for me. It's for anyone, for whosoever will, may come. That's God's promise. That's God's truth. So God's will, God's way. It's always, always right. You know, this happened, this passage in Corinth. The city of Corinth in that day would make Las Vegas seem somewhat moral today. That's how bad it was. I won't go into all the things, but... Have you ever thought about that? Now, all these things that we've seen, for example, drunkards. And we look at things like that, and, and what do they do? We send them psychiatrists. We give them drugs. And other designs of men, you know what that does? It gives a momentary period of relief to only for it to come back and be worse than before. And you go through the greatest psychiatrists of this world and go through the, uh, all the best drugs of this world, but understand it doesn't remove the sin. And many of these people then are facing their sin 
We've got to get them to deal with their sin, not with their drugs. The Bible said of Jesus coming that he was the great counselor. So why would I go to man when I have someone that can cleanse me of my sin, can heal my soul, and and then he can give me everlasting life, and I can rejoice knowing I have hope. And the Lord is coming again. Now be it family members, friends, or even yourself. As I said, they can drug, drug you. But the Holy Ghost will still convict you. Come to him and let him change you. You see, this, the same God who did all. All these things, and even raised himself from the dead, can save your soul. Amen. 